Well, it does come up today. It is in the reading today, so that's it's appropriate. Um, so, yesterday Levi asks me, what are you talking about at church today, Daddy? And I told him, and he summed it up really good. We had a week of warning. We had a week of Eli finally hearing the warning, but giving up. And this week, the warning happens. And so, I just spoiled it all for you. Thanks for coming. Enjoy your Cracker Barrel. So, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And verse 1 has a little bit that should really be in 1 Samuel 3. All the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. There's an unknown amount of time that Samuel was a prophet, uh, was a judge, was speaking God's words to Israel. But then, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped at Apec. So the way they would fight in these days, uh, you wouldn't go fight in the winter because it was just too hard. You wouldn't go fight in the rainy season or during the harvest because you're busy harvesting. And who in the world wants to fight a war in the rain? Pretty practical. Pretty, pretty funny how that works sometimes, but for real. So they're camped on either side, these giant armies. They keep their distance, but they know that they're about ready to fight each other. The Philistines drew up a line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. When the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the powerful power of our enemies. Did you hear how they worded that? They fought against the Philistines. They lost. And the elders get together and they say, Why has the Lord defeated us in front of the Philistines? See, they believe that every single thing that happened to them was God showing favor or God showing a curse. They thought that if, if this foreign group, these Philistines, the Philistines serve the God of the Philistines. So nothing they can do can profit or be good because it's the false God of the Philistines. And we've got Yahweh and we serve Him so we can't lose. And so when they go and fight and they lose, they think Yahweh did it. They blame Yahweh. Why did He do this? Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant to the, of the Lord here that it will come among us. The, uh, the really literal translation of this is let's bring the, the Ark of the Covenant here with us so that the Lord will come and save us from the power of our enemies. So they're thinking God is wherever the Ark of the Covenant is. God wasn't here and we lost. So let's get the Ark of the Covenant out here because then God will have to come be where the Ark of the Covenant is and then God will fight for us and we'll win. Does that seem a little bit flip, flippity-floppity? Well, remember the state of affairs with them. 
everybody knows that Eli's sons are corrupt. Eli has heard it from all kinds of people. The elders have warned Eli. At this point, God has warned Eli through a man of God. And God has warned Eli through Samuel. So the state of the priesthood is absolute garbage. These guys are going in and they're picking out the best of the sacrifice that's supposed to go to God. They're taking the fat. They aren't even supposed to eat the fat. Nobody's supposed to eat the fat. It's supposed to be burned up. And they're stealing it from God and taking it for themselves. So in this scenario, they're kind of being superstitious. They're kind of being kind of witchcrafty. We were talking this week. I don't know why. I forget why this came up. We were talking about rabbit's feet. And how used to be, we explained to our kids, you used to be able to go to the grocery store, you'd stick a quarter in the gizmo, and you'd turn the little knob, and the little ball would fall out, and it would be a real-life rabbit's furry foot, like colored orange or green or purple, with a chain on it. And, of course, the kids are like, why? <laughs> We're like, people would carry them around for good luck. Then it got weirder, right? That's not an answer. These guys thought the Ark of the Covenant was like their good luck charm. And if I just hold, if we just bring the Ark of the Covenant, that'll make God come here and do something too. That is, um, that's the fundamental foundation of all witchcraft. That's why God doesn't like witchcraft. Because it's manipulating God's power. It's trying to be more powerful than God. If I do this thing, then that will make God do this. And nobody makes God do anything, right? Um, There's only a couple things actually in the scripture that say you can force God to do something. Like whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's one of those things. If you believe in his son, then he he will come and be with you. And live with you and dwell in you. There's a couple conditionals like that. But none of them are manipulating God's power like this. So they had the right question. Why has God defeated us? They just didn't have the right answer. And unfortunately, I mean, we do this too, right? What would be the easiest, the easiest best thing for them to do? Would be to fire Eli, have a, proclaim a a fast of repentance, get Hophni and Phinehas out of God's temple where they've been corrupting everything and replace the priesthood and really repent, right? Like do some real heart work on the inside. That's the hardest thing in the world. Nobody ever wants to do that, right? It'd be easier to buy a new shirt and cover it up. And that's what they do. They get their good luck charm. They get the Ark of the Covenant. And they bring it. And that will force God to be here. So the people, they send to Shiloh. This is uh, chapter 4, verse 4. They bring the Ark of the Covenant. And I love it. This is one of the few places where the full name of the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. So we always say the Ark. And that's real shorthand. Here's the proper name of what this thing is. You ready? 
the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. That is the thing. And you really got to appreciate when whoever's writing this, they're writing it, they're like, so they brought, you know, if I, if I say, you know, who's going to preach today? Daniel T. Sullivan, son of Timothy. It's like, whoa, it just got really fancy. It just got like, I better wear a tie, right? They send to Shiloh and they get, I got to find it again. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And then it says, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Do you remember what we heard about Hophni and Phinehas? Besides they were doing really bad, what did we hear from God? That they're both going to die on the same day. So if you want to make sure that prophecy doesn't come true, if this was a movie, they would do everything they could to keep those two guys as far away from each other as possible, right? You wouldn't send them both into battle on the same day. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gives a mighty shout. So the earth shook. Yeah! Right? They're just cheering. They're just going berserk. The Ark of the Covenant is here. This thing was like, it was like a four and a half foot long, two foot tall, two foot wide, gleaming golden box. You could see it. You could see it from a mile away. They don't have electricity. They don't have anything that lights up. This thing, when it's brought out into the sun, it was just gleaming, beautiful. And most people never saw it for their whole life. You could be a faithful Jewish person. Most of them never saw it. If it ever came out, it came out with a, a big, thick blue covering over it. But man, they got the covering off and they are ready for the God of Israel to come. The Philistines hear the noise. So the Philistines are all the way across the battlefield. There's thousands of them and they hear the Israeli army going berserk. They said, what is this great shouting? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. Even the Philistines are afraid of this. They said, a God has come into the camp. Woe to us. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. So the Philistines have more fear of Yahweh than Israel does. Gosh. Like if somebody would have just said that to Eli, the Philistines fear God more than you do because you're still letting your sons rip off people at church. That should make them tear their shirt and repent and turn, but they won't. They're just like Pharaoh. The priests of God are like Pharaoh with their hardened hearts. That should not be, right? They cry out and then they say, Take courage, be men, Philistines. Otherwise, we'll become slaves to the Hebrews like they're slaves to us. So they don't give up. The Philistines, even though they're afraid of Yahweh, they say, we're going to fight him because he's the God of the Hebrews and we rule over them. We're the Philistines. We're not going to give up. Can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine seeing all this? And it all, there are righteous people in Israel. But they just can't take over. They can't, they can't get things to change. And they're seeing the Philistines. They're seeing... Uh, so they battle. The big fight happens. Verse 10. The Philistines fought. Israel was defeated. Every man to his home. There's a great slaughter. 30,000 soldiers of Israel fell that day. 30,000 men. And they all ran to their homes. The ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. The ark of the covenant is now captured and taken by the Philistines. Whoa. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line. He came to Shiloh. His clothes are torn. He's got dirt on his head. He's all beat up, right? Eli is sitting on his seat by the road watching. Because the whole time the Ark of the Covenant's been gone, he's been scared. His entire life, as corrupt as it got when his sons went off track, he has been serving God with this Ark of the Covenant right here. And for the first time, it's been out and going. The guy comes into the city, tells the whole city. And Eli can hear people in Shiloh, in the city, weeping and wailing. Ah, the ark! He can hear this grieving. Uh, one time I went to a funeral in Central Asia. It's one of the creepiest, weirdest things I've ever done. And um, we're all, there's this four-story apartment building. And we're all kind of waiting. There's a whole bunch of us guys waiting down in the parking lot. And I don't really know what's going to happen, when it's going to start. I don't know what we do at a funeral. I mean, American funerals that I've been going to my whole life are awkward enough, right? Here I am in a Tajik funeral and kind of, you know, what do we do? And all of a sudden, I heard it. And it was the wailing and the screaming because they all want to show how sad they are that this man that has passed away is leaving the house. And they get all the neighbor ladies together and they all go into the apartment and they all and cry and wail. And, and it was like, like now it's like, gosh, that was crazy. But then it was just, it gave you goosebumps because all these women are just shrieking and, and uh, mourning and reading that, that, that Eli could hear the city freaking out and grieving and wailing. It's like he could hear something happening. Well, 30,000 men have died. So they're grieving that. But then they're also grieving the loss of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, right? This guy comes up to Eli. Eli says, what is going on down there? And then it gives you this little blip. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set to, so he could not see. So we already heard earlier that Eli was blind. And it's one of those that, um, you know, they put in those little details. Because sure, he was blind, but there's also something else going on, right? He couldn't see. He couldn't see the, the horrible pain that his sons were causing in the temple. 
he can't see this messenger that comes up that's all bloody and torn up and dirt on his head. He, he can't see this guy. The man says to Eli, I am he who's come from battle. I fled from the battle today. He says, how did it go, my son? He brought the news and answered, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate and broke his neck and died. For the man was old and heavy, and he judged Israel for 40 years. So it puts in this other detail that he was heavy. He hears, you know, he hears that the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. Oh, he just falls over and breaks his neck and dies. So this is not a commentary on Weight Watchers. And this is not a commentary that you should exercise and all that stuff. How did he get heavy from eating the meat and the fat that he was not supposed to be eating? That was supposed to go to be offered to God. So it's given this commentary here that, you know, did he break his neck because he was a big fat guy? I don't know. But the detail is there that he was also guilty. He was also guilty with Hophni and Phinehas in stealing from the people and taking. So I looked through all kinds of translations. I wanted to get the real deal, right? And in the Hebrew, the word means heavy. I was really looking for fat. I was looking for obese. Just telling you guys, couldn't find it. It wasn't that word. But that'll be important here in a minute. So the judgment is on him. Just like it's on his sons. He is guilty. Now his daughter-in-law. Now we get this weird, strange side story all of a sudden. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas. Oh no, the wife of Phineas Was pregnant and about to give birth. When she heard the news that the ark of God was captured. Note that it doesn't say that her husband died. When the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed down, gave birth, and her pains came upon her. About the time of her death, the women said to her, Don't be afraid, you've born a son. And she didn't pay any attention to them. She is so grieved. She, she's about ready to have a baby, but she has so much grief. That's like she just dies. Like she just has her baby and gives up the will to live. And they just can't cheer her on. And she names the child Ichabod, which would be worse than Ebenezer, <laughs> saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father in law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So she is so bound up in her grief that the, the strenuous process of having a baby, it all just comes upon her all at once and she just completely fades and dies. And she names this child Ichabod. Ichabod is going to be born. There's no ark of God. 
in Israel. Remember they thought that God sat on the Ark of the Covenant? They thought that that's where God was. So God isn't even in Israel. He's left them. After all of Egypt and the plagues and and deliverance and all the wandering in the desert and all of the establishment of the promised land under Joshua and all the rule under all of the judges, God just isn't even there anymore is how they feel. That's how this whole section feels. And it's such a bummer. And we do the exact same thing. Is we, we take our circumstances and we think, how could God be here in these circumstances? This bad thing happened, this bad thing happened, this bad thing happened. How could the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob be here? He must not be here. He must be gone. The whole time he's been here, he's been talking to Samuel for 20 years. But Samuel was the only one listening. And Samuel was the only one watching for him. There's this awesome quote, and I can't quote it exactly, but uh, it's about St. Augustine, and, or no, uh, the guy that wrote the Pascal. Pascal, the, the math guy, he wrote this, this awesome quote about how God hides himself in our circumstances. And for those that don't want to find him, he stays hidden. But for those that do want to find him, he makes himself known. And he makes himself seen. And he's visible. And this whole scenario is exactly like that. Because there's no mention of Samuel, is there? Samuel isn't here. Why? What very first one? The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Samuel isn't here because he's somewhere else in Israel with the word of God coming to him and he's telling it to people and people are listening. There are these little, little groups, little chunks of people here and there around Israel that are drawn close to God and listening to him. While all of this is going on, this whole crowd that won't stand up to Eli, won't stand up to Hophni, won't stand up to Phinehas, won't stop him, won't end that. Well, the other cool thing is Ichabod. So Ichabod means the glory has left. There's no glory. And uh, Kabod is glory. Is the, the Hebrew word for, for glory is Kabod. There's another word that Kabod means, and it's used interchangeably in the Scripture, in the Hebrew Scripture, and that's heavy. Because God's glory has weight to it. it it's, it's a, it, you know, if I say something really cosmic, you might say, boy, that is heavy. Right? Um, it's like, wow, that is a big deal. The glory of God has, has heaviness and a weight to it. And so here's Eli, who is stealing God's glory and making himself heavy. He he was taking God's glory away. This offering that was supposed to be going to him, going to God, was going to Eli's big belly. And so when he dies, it's it's the, the weight of God, the glory of God. She could be referring to her grandpa or his grandpa. 
This little Ichabod's going to grow up with nobody to take care of him. He's got no parents. He's got no grandparents. He's got no uncles. And so she's just, God just isn't here is how she, she is feeling. And that's how she's relating. But as you're looking at it and you know that God doesn't serve man unless he wants to. And he does a lot. But he won't. Uh, he won't let God play around with He won't let man play around with him, right? So, in the end, when everybody thought, if we just get the Ark of the Covenant and we drag it out here, that'll force God to act. That'll make our superstitious lucky charm thing happen. God would rather make himself look weak, make himself look like he's not even there, than people jerk him around. And, and not, not revere him. Not give him the glory that he deserves. Isn't that wild? Alright, one more thing i got to say about all this. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of times when they tell a story of an event that happened. And this happens because they did this. And God was pouring their wrath on them. And so here we are. And it's 2021. And... Anne's got shingles. So is it God's wrath poured out on Anne? No. Because there's this thing that happened at the cross where God's wrath for our sin was poured out on Jesus once and for all. Paul talks about this in Romans. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for all who would believe so that we no longer have to be afraid. So that we no longer have to be afraid of God's wrath. And so yes, scientifically, the world is still fallen. There are germs. There are bugs. They're going to kill us. They're going to get us. Um, Everything is in a state of frustration and decay. So we are uh, daily, we are passing away. Right? But spiritually, we're being renewed day by day because God is saving the world and renewing it and will make it new. So when we read stuff like this, we say, oh, yes, God wasn't anywhere near them. All this terrible stuff, they were sinning and they got what they deserved. Praise God today, we do not get what we deserve. Jesus got what we deserve. Jesus got the flood. Jesus got the earthquakes. Jesus got the earth opening up and swallowing people up. All poured on him at the cross. And when he cried out and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? It was because he was feeling the judgment and the wrath of God. Just like the wrath of God killed 30,000 Israelites that day at that battle. It killed Jesus that day on the cross. And just like those 30,000 Israelites, in one way or another, weren't perfect, just like me wasn't perfect, we all deserve some kind of God's wrath. Jesus didn't deserve God's wrath. And because He took it as our sacrifice, none of us have to experience that again. So bad things happen and stuff is hard. Jesus said that was going to be the case. But it's not because of God's wrath. 
In Hebrews 10, it says, Endure hardship like discipline. God's treating you like his sons. Isaac is a college student. He stays up late at night. And he studies and studies, but I won't let him sleep past 10 in the morning. And I know he might be up till 3 doing economic nonsense. But I go in there at 10 and I shake his bed and I pull his blankets off of him. Not every day, not very often. Why are you doing this terrible thing to me, Dad? Do you hate me? Is this your wrath? No, I'm treating you like my son. I don't want you to sleep past 10 o'clock. Endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you like his son. So that that gives us a whole different perspective on hard things. That God is with us and he loves us and it is not because of his wrath or his anger. Even when we have done wrong things that we suffer. Alright, next week we're going to totally go PG-13 again. And uh, like I said earlier, we're not going to mention Samuel for weeks here. Because right now this is all about the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark... I'm going to... This is a terrible cliffhanger. The Ark of the Covenant is in the hands of the Philistines, you guys. Ah, this, this, the people that brought you David or uh, Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine, and the the Ark of the Covenant's been taken away. So, to be continued. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we can trust in your love. That you are a God of compassion and mercy. And even when things are hard and stuff is bad, that we can trust that it is not, we can trust and be confident that it's not because you hate us or because you're punishing us. Lord, I praise you that even in this time in Israel, when there were people that were uh, corrupt and messed up under Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, that there were people like Samuel that were hearing directly from you and telling others. And I pray that we'd be those people, Lord. While there's all kinds of corruption in the church, I pray that you would help us to be the people that are hearing from you and sharing your word with the whole church all over the place. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing.